Would you go with me to John chapter 12? John chapter 12 this morning, and we return to the passage that we began when we began chapter 12 last week, and we pick up where we left off last week, beginning in verse 12 this morning. John chapter 12. Hope you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning. If not, there is a Bible there uh, between the hymnals there in the, the hymnal rack, and I hope you'll join us in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. I'll read through verse 19. Follow along. It says in John 12 and verse 12, The next day, the large crowd that had come to feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing? Look, the, the world has gone after him. Now, we often call this the account, uh, the account before us here in the Scriptures, we often call this the triumphal entry. And if you thought this was Palm Sunday because we started reading this passage, you'd be mistaken. This is not Palm Sunday, but that's where we, that's where we get the recognition of that Sunday from this passage. You, you, uh, you may even have that heading in your copy of God's Word. That heading may be even above that text, the triumphal entry. Um, just a note here about those headings. Those are not part of the inspired Word of God. They're in your Bibles because they kind of help mark your place and help you understand what's happening next, but they are not part of what God inspired as part of His Word. Those were added later just for your information's sake. So if you think of those headings or our doctrine or biblical, they're they're additions to help us know where we're going and what we're reading. I think I was reading this week a a part of a message by Ray Stedman about this passage, and I think he was onto something when he preached a sermon on this passage, and he entitled it Triumph or Tragedy. Triumph or Tragedy. We often call this the triumphal entry. But when you look closely at this passage and you understand what the people were doing here and what they were thinking as they did what they did, you may begin to realize that there's actually more tragedy here than triumph. And I think he's onto something there. Now, why this might be more tragedy than triumph will become clear, I think, if we ask the question, just who is this man Jesus anyway? Just who is this man Jesus? And what were the people thinking of him? What what were they thinking about Jesus? Who did they think he was as they began to call out and worship him that day? We're going to see uh, this demonstrated, I think, that, that few recognized him for who he truly was. Sadly, sadly, it's true, I think, that few that day really saw him for who he truly was. And I think we're going to see that demonstrated in the text today. John the Apostle is all about showing us clearly who Jesus is, yes? 
and helping us see very clearly. That's really what, what John's gospel is about. He wants us to see very clearly who Jesus is. The accounts that we have in John's gospel continually point very clearly to who Jesus is as God in human flesh. Come to save sinners from their sins. Come to be the, the suffering servant, the sacrifice for sinners. John is very clear about that. Later in the, in the Gospel of John, he says, These things are written so that you will see them and believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so very clearly, again and again, John is doing that. He does that here also. Unfortunately, the people who were there when Jesus lived and walked this earth didn't see as clearly as we have the privilege of seeing when we read God's Word today. The tragedy for us to be, would be, the tragedy for us is for us to, to open God's Word and to read it and say, yes, this is God's Word, and to leave here without seeing clearly who Jesus is. That would be a tragedy for us. Now that was what was happening there at that place in that time. John the Apostle again, all very clearly, again and again, showing us who Jesus is. There's no mistaking on our part. There ought not be any excuse for us to misunderstand who Jesus is when we read John's Gospel. And again, when we see this passage today, it's made very clear who Jesus is because there are some key elements here that show us who He is. And really, all, all of this is to help us to see Him clearly so that we do something about it. You know what that is? It's so that we repent of sin, turn from sin, turn to Christ in faith, right? It's so that we believe in Him. He wants us to see clearly, as, as John writes, He wants us to see clearly Jesus so that we might see and believe in Him. So look with me again at verse 12, where, where it tells us here that it's the next day. Now, if you haven't been with us for, during our studies, you say, what's the next day? What's the deal with that? The next day after what? Well, it's the day after the dinner given in Jesus' honor. It's in the text here beginning in chapter 12. It's the day after the dinner that they gave in, in Jesus' honor, at which Mary anointed Jesus. And we noted that last week, her extravagant gift, her extravagant act of worship as she poured out this ointment on Jesus and how she honored Christ with that gift, that extravagant act of worship. And it says here in verse 12 that, that the next day, verse 12, the, Lord, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now the feast is the Passover feast that they're celebrating. This, this whole city and people from all around are gathering in. This is a very important event. This day, and this, what we call the triumphal entry, or maybe the entry of tragedy, this event is very important in the life of Christ. In fact, it marks out for us the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. Now, it's incredible to me, we're in chapter 12, right? How many chapters in, in John's Gospel? Anybody know? 21. 21, okay. From John chapter 12 to almost to the end of the Gospel of John, it's about the last week of Jesus' life. Is that incredible or not? Twelve chapters about Jesus' life as he walked on earth. Uh, the rest of the, the rest of the book of John about his last week. This is important. His last week on earth is very important, isn't it? And this is kind of starting out, leading up to that last day when Jesus is crucified, taken to the cross, 
and cruelly, cruelly crucified for your sins and mine. How clear the word is to us, who Jesus is. It's a sad account we have before us when the people who, who spent time near him and saw the miracles and heard him teach didn't see as clearly as they should have who he was. We know this is an important event in Jesus' life and ministry since we learn of it. This is one of the, one of the few events in, uh, in the life of Christ that's actually found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four Gospels show this account. Each of them, again, like I noted last week, each of them God used, he inspired them to write the account from their perspective. And so we get little snippets here and little snippets there, different things to help us see clearly what actually happened here. One thing we learn by comparing the four gospel accounts of this event is that these are huge crowds. We may not understand this, but the, but the numbers of people are unbelievable. Jerusalem is packed, it's crowded. There are huge crowds here. Many, many people are gathered around, and, and Jesus is actually surrounded with people. So we learn this, and we, and we see it in a couple of the other Gospels. There are people before him, there are people behind him, there are people beside him, all around. These were people who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, and they would have included people from all over the place. They had traveled from many, many miles. Some trekked in from far away, as well as people from Galilee. And that's important because... Galilee is where Jesus had his strongest following, where there were more people there than anywhere else who, who began to follow him. And then verse 13 tells us that this great crowd of people with palm branches has come to meet Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. Look at verse 13. So they took branches of palm, uh, palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel! Now, this is the Palm Sunday account. It's where we get our recognition of Palm Sunday. And at first glance, when you hear this and you see this, you think, at first glance, we're kind of inclined to think, well, this is really good. This is a really good thing. This is, it's about time. They recognize Jesus for who he is and begin to worship him. This looks really good on the surface, doesn't it? And at first glance, we're inclined to rejoice that the people are finally worshiping Jesus for who he is. But are they? Are they really? Do they really see him for who he is? Know what the people are doing. Know what they're doing. They came to meet Jesus with what? They've got palm branches, right? They, they bring palm branches. And some were likely waving them. And the palm, uh, some of them were actually, we learned from the other gospel accounts, some were actually laying them in, in the path in front of Jesus for him to, to ride over as he rides this young donkey. They came to meet Jesus with these palm branches, some of them likely waving the branches, some of them, of course, placing them in the path. The palm branch was actually the Jewish national symbol. It actually meant something to them. They weren't just being nice to fan. You know, they weren't trying to fan him and cool. It wasn't humid there or something. They were actually using something that meant something to them. It was their Jewish national symbol. And we learn from Matthew and Mark, some spread those branches on the road. Others put their, in fact, others took off their outer garments. They'd have an outer cloak, like a light coat. Take that off and put it in the, in the road also, in front of Jesus. That sounds incredible, doesn't it? Sounds, I mean, it sounds like a, a, a quite a procession, a, quite a rejoicing. And we think, when we first see this, we think, wow, this is incredible. They're worshiping Jesus. But note also what the people are saying. 
not only what they're doing, but know what they're saying. They cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now that sounds pretty good too, doesn't it? And we hear that and go, wow, that's incredible. But the tragedy here is that they weren't worshiping Jesus for who he really is. They did not see Jesus as someone who had come to suffer for sin, to to be the sacrifice for sin. They did not see him as that. Both the palm branches and the shouts, I think, these these shouts of acclamation and those palm branches they waved and and laid in the road before him, they they both kind of point to what they really think of Christ. They are admiring him. They're worshiping him, but not as the Savior for sinners. Think of it. There's a large crowd. They're gathering. They're shouting. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, some have seen his miracles, likely. Some have actually seen the result of his miracles. Many of them would have heard about the miracles for sure. Some had heard him teach in person, and many, many would have heard of his teaching. And they are all, they've all come together, and they're all waiting in anticipation of the fulfillment of this prophecy that they've been waiting for for so long, for the coming Messiah, the fulfillment of this. And they, 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 they think it's Jesus. Now they're right. <laughs> It, the, the Messiah does come in Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. But they don't see Him as the Savior. They see Him as something else. They're all waiting for the fulfillment of prophecy, their coming Messiah, and everyone was anxious to hear Jesus finally declare Himself to be their King, the long-awaited Messiah. And now, for the first time, here's Jesus in public, and it's incredible, and they're excited because finally Jesus is, is riding into Jerusalem to declare Himself the Messiah and make Himself the King. It's a day to rejoice. But they weren't thinking of Jesus in terms of being a suffering servant who in just a few days, think of this, they're shouting out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In just a few days, some of these very same people will be shouting out, you know, crucify him. Crucify him. They weren't thinking of Jesus in terms of being the one who would be the sacrifice for sin. They were expecting the Messiah to be their deliverer. They were expecting the Messiah to be a conquering king. They wanted him to take over. As they waved the palm branches, as they shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes, they they think of him as the Messiah. They're right to think of him as the Messiah, the king of Israel but not as one who would be crucified to save them from their sin. They they were thinking king. you know. They were thinking a political ruler, a military ruler, someone who would save them from their political enemies, the Romans. But as they praised Jesus, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, they actually... They, they actually spoke far truer words than they realized. That's why this is far more tragic than triumphal. They don't really know him for who he is. They don't see him for who he is. 
They don't really believe in him. Some of them have seen the miracles, have heard the teaching in person. Many, many would have heard about the miracles and heard about the teaching. So few really see him for who he is. You see, Jesus didn't come to conquer. He came, he came to bring peace. I want you to note how Jesus enters Jerusalem. Note how he enters because he came to bring peace and he demonstrates that in a unique way. Verse 14, look at it. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Can I just say he rides in on a donkey? Really? I mean, is that way, is that the way the, the, the king is supposed to come in? He rides in on a donkey? Not exactly the way a triumphal conqueror would return home. Not exactly the way a conquering king would return home. Shouldn't he be riding a horse or something? A great big majestic, you know, monstrous muscular stallion or something like that? You see, if he were coming into Jerusalem as a conquering king, he would be on a horse. Or he'd be on foot in front of his troops, leading his troops into the city in victory, right? But he's not a conquering king. It's interesting, though, that there will be a day when Jesus does come as the conquering king. And guess what he'll be riding then? According to Revelation, he'll be riding a horse then. But if there's still any question about who Jesus is, note that this was all in fulfillment of prophecy. All of these things were happening. This is incredible to think about. All of these things were actually happening in fulfillment of prophecy. Look at the rest of verse 14. Just as it is written, it says. And then quoting Zechariah 9.9, verse 15 says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And if you go to the passage in Zechariah, it says, Coming humbly, <laughs> coming humbly on a donkey's colt. Jesus' humble entrance that day on a young donkey was a fulfillment of prophecy, just in case we're not clear about whether or not this is God in human flesh or not. Again and again, Jesus fulfills prophecy about him. Warren Wiersbe says, It was a part of Jesus' obedience to the Father's will. The prophet Zechariah prophesied that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem in that manner, and he fulfilled the prophecy. Also, interestingly, he says, daughter of Zion, daughter of Zion. When it says, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Daughter of Zion is another name for the city of Jerusalem. So Jesus comes in to the daughter of Zion, the city of Jerusalem, very humbly on the, on the young donkey. And it reminds me, and I hope it reminds you, that God is in control. God is always in control. This was all to fulfill prophecy. Note too, even the timing of Jesus' crucifixion is in God's hands. If you've been with us for this study, you know this is true. As you read John's Gospel, you see it again and again. Every time the authorities try to place hands on Jesus, what happens? <laughs> well, sometimes he disappears, sometimes he walks through them, sometimes they, they just can't find him. Every time they want to have... a, a, a have a, a time where they get their hands on Jesus to take him away, to kill him. They can't do it. They can't put their hands on him. And the religious authorities were completely frustrated at every turn. And they wanted Jesus killed, certainly. But they just couldn't touch him when they wanted to. 
We've seen it repeatedly. It's interesting too, and we know this also from the scriptures, that they, that they didn't want to kill him during the Passover. They wanted him dead. They'd be dead by now if they could have gotten their hands on him. But they didn't want him killed during the Passover. This was an important time. They didn't want anything upsetting the, the people. They didn't want anything upsetting the authorities during the Passover feast. And so they didn't want Jesus killed then. But guess what? <laughs> Jesus is going to force their hand. Jesus is forcing their hand here. That's why he's now going public. This is the first time he's done this. This is the first time he's allowed this public adulation of him. And he does it because he's in control. He, he brings himself into Jerusalem just at this point during the Passover, declaring himself to be the promised Messiah, the King of Israel, as he does ride in on that donkey. And as he allows this adulation of the people, he is actually coming to die. People don't realize that. They think he's going to be our king. He's going to take over. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. He's going to rescue us from these rascally Romans. Right? But he's coming to die. He's coming to be the sacrifice. And we'll see here in a bit how the worship by the people directed toward Christ totally frustrates the authorities. It angers them. But first note that John tells us that the disciples didn't completely understand all this either. Verse 16, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about Him. These things that had been prophesied, these things that had been written about Him, had been done to him. These things that had been written had also been carried out. They didn't understand all these things at the time. They didn't see these things as fulfillment of prophecy at the time. It's interesting, even the things that they did, remember from the other Gospels that Jesus actually sent them to go get this donkey that had never been ridden, this, this young donkey. And when they brought him back, they take their own cloaks and put it on. That All that's fulfillment of prophecy. They didn't realize they were a part of this at the time. Till it all came clear later. It all became very clear to them later, but, but not until after the resurrection of Jesus. And it wasn't until then that their eyes were fully open to see clearly that these things that they had been a part of were a fulfillment of prophecy about Christ. Not until the resurrection of Christ were their eyes open to understand that these things that they had seen were all prophesied about him and it had come true. And in verses 17 and 18, 17 and 18, it makes it obvious why the crowds gathered in the first place. Note why they came. You can see a little bit of their, their, uh, their clamoring to see Jesus here. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and had raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. Now that's a good thing, right? I mean, witnessing, bearing witness about Christ is a very good thing. Do you realize that if you're a follower of Christ, you're called to be a witness about Christ? You do it two ways, primarily and firstly, and most importantly, you do it with your life, the way you live. But also, God gives you opportunities to, to, to speak of Him. And that's what these people were doing. They were going out to bear witness. Did you hear about the guy named Lazarus? He was dead. He was in the tomb for four days. He had to smell pretty bad by then. 
Guess what? This, this guy named Jesus came along and, and told him to come out. And he walked out and they unwrapped him from the grave clothes and he was alive, whole. He's alive. Let's go see this guy. Let's go see this Jesus. And hey, let's go see Lazarus too. And so they were telling others. And verse 18 says, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So why did they come? Did they come because they they wanted to believe in him? No, I think they were more thrill seekers than anything else. They had heard about the sign. They had heard about the miracle. It was often the signs and it was often the miracles of Christ that attracted the greatest crowds. And often in God's word we find this reminder, if if only for the miracles, then believe, right? If, if, if you need a miracle to believe, then look at the miracles and believe in Jesus Christ. And those people should have seen the miracles and believed Jesus for who He was, their Savior. But what's sad about this is that it was Jesus' teaching, and it's still the teaching of God's Word, that are the most important things to us and to them, and they were more concerned with the signs. The teaching of Jesus Christ was so important. That's why we find those who sat at the feet of Jesus, like you know who, right? Like Mary, who who paid close attention to Jesus' teaching, they seemed to understand what was going on. The ones who didn't follow his teaching were just kind of totally oblivious to what was happening with Jesus. Think of it. Healing the blind. Is that incredible? Healing the blind. Can you heal the blind? I mean, you know, you can't even give somebody a prescription for their glasses, right? Unless you're an optometrist here. Anybody like that, right? There might be one of us here, right? Giving speech to the dumb. Can you do that? Besides giving them a keyboard on a computer and saying, hey, talk. Uh Uh-uh. You can't give speech to the dumb, can you? Jesus did that. That's incredible. He gave hearing to the deaf. And he gave life to the dead in the grave, right, Lazarus? Those are... Unbelievable. Those are wonderful examples of God's incredible grace, if you think about it. Incredible examples of God's power. Through Jesus Christ, we see them, right? Jesus revealing to us who he is, often by those miracles, make it very clear who Jesus is. But do you realize that none of the miracles brought eternal life? None of those miracles brought eternal life. You realize Lazarus died again, right? All those people who were blind and and mute and deaf, they they were all blind and mute and deaf again one day when they died, right? None of those miracles brings eternal life. Guess what it is that reveals eternal life? It's God's Word. God's Word shows us the source of eternal life, and it's Jesus Christ. Yet it was for the miracles that Jesus performed that many flocked to him. It wasn't for his teaching. They wanted to see the signs. Let's see more of that. That's exciting. I'll buy a ticket for that, right? They didn't come for his teaching. They came to see the show. But guess what? God even used that. God even used that to anger those who were going to 
Kill Jesus. Look at verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. In other words, look, everything we're doing is failing. We can't even put our hands on this guy, and everybody seems to be following after him. Now they meant when they said the world is following after him, they meant the people of Jerusalem, all these people thronging to see him and worship him. And we want to kill him. And all these people are worshiping. We just can't do anything right. What's going on here? They thought, you know, all these people, this is just a, a terrible thing. Little did they know when they said the world, the world was going after Jesus. Little did they know how true that would be. Interesting, isn't it? Little did they know how people from all over the world still today are believing in Jesus and putting their faith in the one true God and putting their faith in Christ for salvation from sin. Little did they know when they said, you see, we're gaining nothing. The whole world is going after him. Little did they know people from all over the world would go after Christ and still do today. Praise God. So many people that day didn't really know Jesus, did they? So many people that day worshipped him, but didn't really worship him in truth. They didn't know him for who he was. They didn't know him for who he is. The one who came to save them from their sin. And you know what? It's possible you don't know Christ today. It's possible you don't know Christ. It's possible that you're here today and and you've even opened a Bible and read along with us and you, you don't know Jesus for who he is. And I say that's possible because even the disciples were kind of fuzzy at times, weren't they? Even the disciples, even the ones who followed Jesus most closely and heard most of his teaching, even... And we know one of them was not a follower of Christ. We know Judas was not a believer, was he? But even the eleven who knew Christ as as Lord and, and followed him as their Savior, they didn't really know some things. They They were fuzzy about things. Even in our passage it shows this. Later on they understood... So you know, that's a very clear indicator to me this morning that it's very possible that, that some of, some of us here today don't know Christ. And you know, you know what the tragedy would be? Is for you to come and hear these words, hear the words of God, and have God's word calling out to you to believe in the one and only Son of, of God, Jesus Christ, the, the suffering servant, the one who was crucified so that you might have eternal life, if you will just simply repent and turn from your sin and believe in him, what would be a tragedy is for you to hear all that today and see that in God's word and hear God's word call out to you and for you to stiff-arm God and to leave here today and not believe in him. Have you heard God's word today? I'm not asking if you've heard me <laughs> You need to hear God calling you from his word. Have you repented of your sin and turned to Christ in faith? Have you turned to him alone? It would be tragic for you to be here today and miss Christ. What about you, believer? I trust there are many believers here this morning, many people who have already done that, who have already placed their faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. What about you, believer?
You know, it's possible to know about Christ, but not really know the deep, the deep contentment and joy that's only found in obedience to Christ. Because once Jesus Christ saves, saves us from our sin, He doesn't stop working in us. He, that's just the beginning. He gives us His Holy Spirit to help us as we read the Word to apply the truth of the Scriptures to our own lives so that we will be changed day by day to be more like Christ. Not in perfection. We're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. But it doesn't mean we're supposed to throw up our hands and say, oh well, I'll never be perfect. I might as well just go on sinning. Because Jesus has given you the power that he has to resist sin. Jesus came and lived a sinless life. He was tempted like we are, yet without sin, says the word, right? And that same power that's in Christ is in us now, if you're his follower. And so what would be tragic for us as followers of Christ is for us to not really follow him. It's for us to say, I love the Bible, but I don't don't read it. I mean, you know, I just like it. It's good. I, I know it's good. I love it. Believer, do you know the deep contentment and joy that's only yours by following God's Word, living closely to the Word, walking with Christ? Are you hiding the Word in your heart that it might change you and save you from sin and rescue you from daily trials of sin? You see, He wants us to be done with sin, and he gives us the power to do so, to turn from sin and to, to be obedient to Christ and, and to walk with him faithfully. And yes, we still sin, and, and yet his, his blood paid the price for that sin too. And we rejoice in that. And yet he's given us his word and his spirit. And so I ask you, follower of Christ, are you hiding God's word in your heart that you might not sin against God? And do you worship Him for who He really is? I'm so thankful you're here today. But I hope that you're here for the right reason, to worship God for who He is, to worship Him for for His Son, Jesus Christ, who came and sacrificed Himself for us. Do you worship Him for who He really is? Do you worship Him as your Master, your Savior, your Lord? And that day those people cried out, Our King, is He truly your King? Does He have your allegiance? Does He have your life? It would be tragic for you, believer, today, follower of Christ, to call Jesus your Savior and not enjoy the hope and contentment and joy that's yours by walking in obedience to Christ, enjoying Him as your Master and King. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, again, thankful for your word, thankful for your truths, and, and even as we see here in the, in the word before us today, there were so many who did not understand Jesus as the Savior did not understand Jesus as the one who would be the sacrifice. God, I pray that it would not be true of us today, that if we don't know you, that you would help those here who have not trusted in Christ to to turn from sin and turn to Christ in faith, calling out to you in prayer, repenting of sin, believing in Jesus. God, I pray for believers today 
that you would not allow us to leave this place today without checking our hearts, checking our minds, our attitudes, our lives. God, I pray, help us to see whether we have truly given you our allegiance, whether we truly follow you in complete faith and trust. God, you know we fail and we sin, but we rejoice that we're forgiven and that you give us hope and encouragement and strength that we can return to a to an unbroken fellowship with you, that you keep those who are your own, that, that you keep those eternally, those who have believed in you. But God, I pray, help us to walk with you. Help us to be obedient to you as followers of Christ. Help, help us to become more like Christ. And help us, Lord, to make him clearly known in the community in which you've placed us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.